Welcome back to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast, where experts and leaders in the wide world of IT discuss the industry and hard-earned career wisdom with your host, Barry Newkirk. Today's guest is Tom Scott. Tom is the Chief Information Security Officer for Synergy Partners, the largest privately owned tax credit and incentive consulting company in the United States. Tom is also the inaugural director of the South Carolina Cyber Consortium, where he has been a key leader in the cyber education, cyber workforce development, and cyber protection efforts, both in South Carolina and across the nation. Tom currently serves as the founding director of the nonprofit South Carolina Cyber Foundation and Association. With over 30 years of state government experience in Florida and South Carolina, Tom has developed a wealth of knowledge and experience in protecting critical state infrastructure and cyber assets. Tom holds numerous industry certifications, board and advisory positions, and is a member of the FBI's InfraGuard program. Let's jump into this conversation with Tom Scott. We want to welcome Tom Scott. No, Barry, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this uh, innovative communication model and a way to uh, share stories about uh, IT professionals uh, and uh, their journey. Our listener, as I mentioned, is that mid-career uh, technology professional who is trying to decide and map out his or her career path. And they're very committed to technology, but there's not a lot of talk about how you get from, you know, three, four, five, 10 years in your IT career to a senior level uh, C-suite type of position. And so the gap that we're trying to fill, the question that we're trying to answer is, um, through the storytelling of everybody's unique uh, career journey, how did you get here? And maybe what is a path for me, the listener? Tell us about your early life, um, family life, where'd you grow up, um, your upbringing, uh, up through your schooling. Can you give us a, a picture of that for Tom Scott? I most certainly can. Barry, thanks again for the opportunity to uh, share a story here. So uh, um, I am a military brat. Uh, my dad was in the Army, uh, was, uh, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, happened to be stationed at Fort Buchanan in Puerto Rico, where he met uh, this beautiful uh, Puerto Rican lady there, uh, who at some point became my mom um, and, uh, and his wife equally. Um, uh, got an opportunity as a military brat to live two years in one military base and then move and pick up and go across the country or the world and live three years somewhere else and pick up and move again. So I actually went to a very nine different schools in your typical 12 years of schooling of first through 12th grade. Um, uh, and it was uh, before the days of social media and the internet. So when you picked up and left Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and you went to Fort Barron, Ben Harris in Indiana, you left all your friends behind. Right. At least in the, the, the 70s and the 80s. And uh, it was very different uh, when uh, I moved to the greater South Carolina area from Florida back in 2014. Uh, my daughter brought all her friends with her in the palm of her hand in the form of a cell phone. So, again, a very different upbringing for her in terms of moving and uh, versus mine. So I lived uh, all across the country. Um, I think... Uh, that actually provided me with some pretty good opportunities uh, of uh, diversity. Mm -hmm. It uh, provided me some good opportunities, Barry, of adversity, because you're you're always the new kid in the school, and you always got to try and go make friends. Um, I think that uh, that 
bodes well for me as a professional, though. Uh, I've uh, gone to a variety of, of different schools as well, um, and equally with different racial mixes. I've gone to schools that were 95% white. I've been to schools that were 95% black. And then, you know, in Arizona, it was kind of a 30-30-30 mix of white, black, and Hispanic. And so, um, you know, equally, uh, I graduated uh, high school in southwest Georgia, which uh, was an incredible culture shock from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, as you can only imagine. Um I uh, got an opportunity from uh, graduating in uh, Doherty High School in Albany, Georgia, to go to the University of Georgia. I was studied journalism. Hmm. I uh, liked writing about sports, and uh, Barry, my plan was to be a sports editor. Uh, I got out of college um, at that time, uh, right in the, the Dale Murphy era, or right after the Dale Murphy area era. That was before the Braves had all these World Series championships to, under their belt, and at that time, there were only so many ways to say the Braves lost. <laughs> and uh, uh, as a sports editor, I also realized that there was a lot of late nights till 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I think I, like you, Barry, found that in college there were better places to be at 2 o'clock in the morning than in a newsroom. I'm not familiar so with what you're talking about. I, I, I flipped. I flipped from uh, news editorial to public relations. Hmm. decided that uh, I wanted to uh, go tell a, a positive story. Um, got a great opportunity to work with the uh, University of Georgia women's volleyball team. And so I was the sports information person for the team. The coach gave me a scholarship where I paid for my tuition. Wow. And I wrote articles for the Red and Black, the college newspaper, um, and for other college publications about the volleyball team. Mm. Um, great opportunity. I got to travel with the team when we went and won an SEC championship at Ole Miss. Finished college. Uh, got a chance to uh, pick a place to live. I picked Tallahassee, Florida. I knew there was uh, some local, state, and uh, federal government opportunities there. There were some universities there. And uh, started a career in state government. Um, initially as a uh, data analyst, too. Actually, I was a statistical aid two um and the department of uh children and families that's mm -hmm. what they were called at the time it's now i think called department of health mm -hmm. in the aids program so great opportunity to learn about disease control and public health in early years um and then i began a a journey through various state agencies let me ask you i want to double click on your college for a second so you started out in journalism. Did you get a degree in PR or did you get a degree in journalism from Georgia? The degree program at the University of Georgia, I believe, has four or at least in my day, Barry. Mm. And, and again, I sold I sold IBM typewriters, if that says anything in college about uh, my technology journey here. Um, for it's a, the degree is journalism. Mm -hmm. I, okay. I have a BA bachelor's of arts in journalism. There are four tracks, if you will, or specialties. Mm -hmm. One is news editorial. That's what my original one was. Another one is public relations and advertising. Okay. And that's the one I switched to. There's a third one, which is radio, TV, film. And a fourth one that uh, escapes me because it didn't interest me at that time, Barry. It, it doesn't interest me now. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to do was I wanted to tell positive stories, okay. if you will. Okay. 
I looked at the world of advertising and said, yeah, that's kind of cutthroat. And if you don't sell and you don't get a commission, you don't eat. And I'd rather have a paycheck and know I'm going to get paid something. So sure. That was kind of one, one branch off of the tree was no to the advertising world. Mm -hmm. um, I liked the, what I have seen in what I call the PIO or the PAO space. So that's a public information officer or a public affairs officer. Right. And those are individuals that work for government and, and their job is to tell the good story in a public relations fashion of what government's doing and to act as that interface, perhaps sometimes even Barry as an ombudsman. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I got an opportunity to uh, deal with an ombudsman through uh, Florida State University. And I would, would throw that out there that any organization that has an ombudsman, it has a level of quality about them because they know that people are going to have challenges dealing with the behemoth of the bureaucracy and having that ombudsman or that one person that knows the intricacies of the organization to help them navigate it is, is just completely invaluable. So I want to go back to your grown up as a military brat, as you say, the moving you talked about, you're forced to leave your friends and make new friends, which knowing you for a number of years, I know is kind of a natural thing for you. You're very open and gregarious and people like talking to you and you like talking to people and you're very interesting and interested, which is the trick. Was your home a disciplined home, um, being a military family? Was it um, a little different? I mean, I had to move a little bit when I was a kid, but moving every two years, I never had to do that. So I'm always curious about what are the impressions that that left on you? So, um, yes, a very disciplined home. Uh, my dad was a career army, um, uh, was a, uh, a veteran of Vietnam War. Mm. And uh, I, it was always, yes, sir, no, sir. And you know what, Barry? My children right now, adults right now, and when they were growing up, they were taught sir and ma'am. It was purely a matter of respect. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I say it to them. Right. And I said it to them when they were growing up. They were sir and they were ma'am, and it was an expectation. Equally, Barry, I think something that's that shaped me as well is uh, being a child of divorce. Mm. Uh, my parents split up when I was eight. Um, uh, both of my parents uh, remarried and then once again remarried. Um, so we've got a... a I think for good or for bad, we have a very uh, big and extended family. It's kind of hard to have family reunions anymore because um, we end up taking six or eight houses because there end up, ends up being more than 100 of us all wanting to get together for a week at the beach. And, 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 and the good thing is, as we've gotten older, those, those sharp edges of uh, divorce and uh, harsh feelings have... Uh, all smooth themselves out as the rivers run across them and uh, everyone gets along and it's uh, it's a, a very nice to have a big happy family and so um, yeah being uh, being forced to move and, and and I appreciate your compliments on um, my ability to uh, to talk freely as an adult I was not that uh, open I'm much more of an introvert as a a kid much more as a wallflower. And I think, um, Barry, this skill set was not natural. It, it was learned and forced through numerous opportunities to make presentations about different programs. I uh, 
um, working in state government. Like I said, we started out with uh, in disease control and Department of Health, um, jumped to uh, contracting and uh, learned a little bit about grants and contracts from state to county government. Um, jumped over to uh, the state university system, worked for several years um, uh, at what was called the Board of Regents in Florida or a board of governors that kind of uh, oversaw the nine or 10 public state universities to include University of Florida, Florida State, and uh, numerous teaching colleges or universities. Do you think that communication ability, Tom, you said you're a natural introvert. Do you think that would, because so many people in IT that you know and I know are very naturally introverted. Um, And sometimes I see people, and we both know lots of people who are, 55, 45, I'm 55, uh, that have never explored trying to exercise the muscle of being able to communicate well. They just rather sit behind a computer and, and do that. And so my question is for the, for the listener really is, do you think that moving schools at such a young age influence your ability to be the communicator that you are now i think that's entirely possible and uh, barry while you claim 55 you look 45 i'm just gonna throw stop, that out there stop that stop yeah you know um again uh, a variety of schools uh, virginia massachusetts iowa arizona georgia um that uh, gave me a flavor and a flair of uh the, the Mid-Atlantic, the Northeast, the, uh, the Far West, the Midwest, and the South. So, you know, other than like uh, Seattle or up uh, where you go hunting in Montana, I, those are about the only places that uh, haven't had a touch in, in, throughout the U.S. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I think, um, you know, I was, I was um, uh, joined the Army, and one of the things I have said for years since I've gotten out is that, one of the things that the army taught me was how to talk to relate, try to understand from anybody's perspective, you know, cause I, I did a lot of work with officers who were, you know, some West point guys and some college grads. And then I dealt with guys who literally the judge told them, um, Hey, if you don't go to the army, you're going to jail. And, um, and so I can, I can hang with, but, but that four years was very formative for me in that because it expanded my view of the world and it sounds like it was similar for you barry i i um i actually i describe that as as one of my strengths it, it is that um uh the diversity with which i've been involved in um ha- has allowed me to uh to integrate if you will very easily or assimilate in, in a variety of groups um I can uh, I can drink a beer at the bar with the guy at the from the governor's office that's driving you know the the sweet looking Harley Davidson just as well as I can for the other guy driving the Harley Davidson that's got a beer down the middle of his belly. Right. It, it, it's just uh you know what I found is um and, and maybe Barry this is a, a jewel for the the introverts out there is find something in commonality. You know, if I go to somebody's office, I look around at their pictures and I look around at their walls and I say, oh, hey, they've got a kid who's wearing a soccer shirt. 
And I said, hey, I don't know if you know this, I'm a soccer referee. Bam, we've got an instant connection because they were the ones that were yelling at me the previous Saturday. No, I'm kidding on that part. <laughs> um, there's a group called the MSI SAC. That's the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center. They are based in Albany, New York, funded by Homeland Security to help state, local, tribal, and territorial organizations deal with cyber issues. They, they provide, and one of the things that they provide them with is a 24 by 7 security operations center. Mm -hmm. Well, I got a chance to visit a couple of years ago, went up to Albany, and of course there was 18 inches of snow on the ground. So, and driving through that's lots of fun, getting a rental car in snow. I went to their sock. They do three shift changes. They do the eight to three, the three to 11, the 11 to seven. And one of the things that they do for every single shift change is they do a verbal handover. Mm. And they make the guys that are introverts stand up in the front of the room. Now, here's the good part. In front of the other introverts. So the fear factor is a little bit less. And they make them stand up in the front of the room and give the briefing. And they'll say, hey, we saw an attack on the state of Utah. And it happened to be this type of an attack. And we think we saw some other indicators like that in the state of Louisiana. But uh, we're still waiting to find out. But again, it was a forced presentation, if you will. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it provided each one of those guys and gals that had to do it another opportunity at public speaking without a whole lot of pressure of being in front of 40, 60, or 400 people. So kudos to them for finding a great way of expanding the talent, skills, and abilities of their staff in ways that their staff would have not normally or naturally have done so. That, that's an amazing <clears throat> tactic. I think that is so awesome. Uh, you know, I, it reminds me of a, you know, a IT department stand-up and everybody has to talk at least at some level, but this sounds even more in depth and, uh, honing that communication skill. So that's a, that's a great takeaway. I'm glad you told us that. Thank you. Thank you very Not much. Not at all. So, Hey Barry, let me, let me pivot for a half second back yeah. to my state early state government work, please. Because, um, my first job, like I said, statistical aid too. what I did was statistical analysis of blood sample data that was being submitted into the, the state blood lab. Okay. Simple stuff. But, but I learned some Excel and I learned some Microsoft word and I learned some access and it was a great out of college kind of job. My, my next job, like I said, I worked for contracting and I learned a little bit about grants. My next job was with the university system and I produced the university fact book. So I could tell you in 1980, in 1990, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, what the historical trends were hmm. of the white, black, Hispanic first time in college grades, admissions. I learned a whole bunch about the universities and I learned a lot about statistics and technology. So again, my, my degree was communications and I'm, I'm, I'm still communicating, but I'm communicating using the ones and the zeros and statistical analysis in, in a different way. I, I have several in an old uh, trunk 
copies of the 1994, 95, 96 State University System Factbook because that was an artifact. It was something that I created. And it was through pulling together 80 different reports and making sure they were right and putting them into a publication. One story for my, uh, my time there at the State University System. I worked for a fantastic individual who's no longer with us, Dr. Bruce Mitchell. And my very first evaluation um, on a scale of one to five, I got all twos. I, I don't know about you, but I like being an overachiever. And uh, while uh, 11 was not a possibility in this case, I was at least hoping for fives or fours. <laughs> and I got all twos. And, and, and I was very disappointed. And I went in and I said something to him. And, and he, shared, um, he shared something with me. He said, this is a cyclical job. You've produced one fact book. Once you've done the second one, now you know what you're doing. In year one, you don't know what you're doing. Right. You're figuring it out. And you can't be exceeding or superior in a four or five if you're figuring it out. I hated his answer. It made sense. And the other thing I will share with you, Barry, about uh, Bruce was he told me one time, he said, uh, I won't keep you forever. Hmm. He says, you're going to be going to another job at some point. So my job is to make sure that you are prepared for that next job. Amen. And, and I wrote that one down and I put it in my back pocket. It's something I share back with other people that for me, the true Nate, the true telling of a good boss is one that understands their job is to help you prepare for the next one. Mm, that's so good. That is so good. You've had a lot of great, uh, positions, a lot of great experiences. Um, what did you do after you worked for the university system in Florida, Tom? You really kind of launched into more government heavy stuff, right? So all of that was um, state state jobs. Mm -hmm. um, after that, I uh, went to work for the Department of Juvenile Justice. Mm -hmm. Again, working in their data an analysis. I can tell you uh, how many kids were in level two, three, and four detention facilities. I could tell you what the recidivism rates were. It was that was the kind of stuff that we looked at. Sure. Um, I then left and uh, state government, Barry, and uh, went and worked as an executive director of two nonprofits. One was the Keep Kids Drug Free Foundation, mm -hmm. um, and the other one was called New Century Institute. They were the seven largest behavioral health care centers in Florida that had all banded together and created a coalition, if you will asked me to lead that coalition in terms of uh, driving actionable research as it related to behavioral health. We also had a license plate. And for every license plate that somebody bought, we got $25 that went to the foundation. And then we turned that around into seed grants for boys and girls clubs, um, all kinds of small organizations that were doing cool and innovative things to keep kids off drugs mm. and to keep them active and engaged in their communities. Awesome. Um, I left there and went to go work for the runaway shelter system. So again, I was kind of in the, the social services model at, mode at that time. I was their communications director. So back to the journalism piece, as well as in charge of their data, their IT. It was a small group area. I had uh, several hats I wore. <laughs> um, great opportunity again to learn about, 
what I'll call association and advocacy management from groups that are all working together. I actually got to work as a lobbyist. Um, I, I, you know, I had to register and worked the halls of government, trying to make sure that our legislators knew that kids that needed safe spaces and runaway shelters across the state. So um, went back to state government. So here's the pivot. So you, if you remember the famous line from Bugs Bunny, he made a left turn at Albuquerque. <clears throat> Barry, here's my left turn at Albuquerque. At that point, all of my jobs had been data related. Right. Not heavy technology, purely data, statistical analysis. Mm -hmm. I applied for a job to be a um, strategic planning writer. I was going to use my writing skills, go into a state agency, and write their strategic IT plan. I got hired um, uh, in October 2001, right after the 9-11 attacks. Um, and I, I share that with you because that leads to a whole level of career in emergency management, homeland security, and all kinds of things I took opportunities of. But Barry, my very first day of work, CIO said, hey, we found out by statute, we have to have an information security manager. You know what the next words are, don't you? And you're it. <laughs> so I, here I am, a communicator, a statistician, and I'm now being told I'm in charge of information security. So I go write the strategic plan using my communication writing skills. The CIO says, now that you're done with that, what would you like to do? And I said, I kind of like this information security gig. People think I'm important. I get to go tell people what the rules are. They have to listen to what I say. Um, it, not only that, Barry, but I, I was very fortunate. They stood up the Department of Homeland Security. There was money that was being thrown at terrorism, anti-terrorism. We had stupid people trying to light planes on fire with their shoes. We had anthrax and we had all kinds of stuff going on. I took advantage of every single free training that they offered me. If they offered me a training on business continuity and disaster recovery, I took it. I also found that the emergency management division does all kinds of free training. Mm. And I said, hey, you know what, Barry, I've been trained on biological hazards. I got a chance to wear one of those hazmat suits in Florida in 98-degree weather. Awesome. That is not something you want to have to do as a job. I got to do it as a test for four minutes, and I was glad to be out of it. <laughs> but it gave me some real-world experiences. Um, as a state employee, each state agency was tasked with an emergency function. Mm -hmm. And my state agency was tasked with supporting ESF-6. ESF-6 is Emergency Services Function 6, or Mass Care, Food, Water, Shelter. And so in the year of the three hurricanes, I was in the Emergency Operations Center making sure that food, water, and shelter got delivered or that people knew where the open shelters were for <clears throat> people all across the state. Great opportunity to make a difference mm -hmm. um, without having to wear a hazmat suit without having to be a first responder. Um, I'm happy to be the guy that uh, shows up and runs the computers, but I don't think I'm gonna be the one in the snake infested swamp. Just 
throwing that out. Got it. That's uh, that's really interesting. So, I think um, so. Your foray into security was really just a you're a voluntold, basically. Yes, and then uh, when I saw the opportunity there, Barry, I, I took advantage of it. Uh, I then be I that started a ten year opportunity as a chief information security officer for Florida's Department of Labor. They, it's got a, a different, not Department of Labor name, but basically that's what they do. The equivalent of South Carolina's DEW. Sure. Was uh, recognized with uh, my work, got involved uh, with FBI's InfraGuard program. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage people to take a look at the paraprofessional opportunities. Um, again, I was fortunate, not only with, for, with the timing, Barry, I was fortunate with the leadership. Gentleman named Michael Russo. Mike uh, grew up in Boston and talks, he calls the, the bad people scales and mooks. <clears throat> and Mike uh, worked for a career in law enforcement and uh, was designated as the state's chief information security officer. Mike knew that every single one of those state agencies was on their own. And so he gave us the tools, the training, the advocacy to make sure that we were successful in our role as security managers for the agencies. He, um, great, great individual, a, a mentor of mine, somebody that uh, I still look to as a thought leader that um, uh, knew the value, Barry, of collaboration. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and the, the, you know, there's lots of pithy sayings in security. Oh, it's not a destination. It's a journey. <clears throat> a whole bunch of other things like that. For Mike, it was the bad guys are collaborating and sharing information. If we don't share information, we're putting ourselves at an initial disadvantage that we will never recover from. That's right. You know, it's, it's amazing when somebody says something that's so prima facie and it's like right there in your face and you go, wow. That's absolutely beautiful because you just stated the obvious right, right there in front of us that we would have overlooked if you hadn't stated it to the point where we now had to pay attention and can see the implications and the underlying meaning of what you were sharing with us. So kudos to uh, Mike. Mike Russo has been a champion for information security for decades, and uh, he's the one that... Uh, in the early 2000s and uh, uh, truly led the effort in, in Florida and uh, provided me with my career in information security because I, I leveraged that. Uh, he actually was, uh, Barry, you'll find this interesting. Mike left as the state CISO and went to work at Florida State University as the university CISO. Oh. My colleague, Marcos Vieira, was a university CISO and left and went to become a state CISO. Both of these occurred right at the same time. So they were sharing success and failure stories. Hmm. Mike was teaching Marcos how to navigate the halls of the legislature because Marcos had university experience. And Marcos was teaching Mike how to navigate the halls of academia because he had for several years been working with faculty and staff and professors and deans and knew that world where they were sharing information. 
Mm. And that was right at the time that Marcos was looking for a deputy CISO. And uh, I was living in Tallahassee, Barry. My family is in Charleston, in Columbia, in Chapin. And I decided it was a good opportunity to get closer to family, let my kids grow up with their aunts and uncles and grandparents. Sure. Being in Florida, I had the seven-hour drive to Charleston for Thanksgiving. And there are numerous boys' weekend camping trips at lakes in South Carolina and Georgia that I just couldn't get to that uh, my brothers have uh, blurred memories that they share with me. So is that, the, I was going to ask you about the move from Florida to South Carolina. Was it primarily uh, family-oriented, Tom? Primarily. Uh, very interesting uh, story for you here. Uh, um, in 2005, uh, my wife passed. And so mm. I got an opportunity to be what I call a sole parent, not a single parent. Single parent means that you can give them to the other guy or the other gal every other weekend and somebody splits the dental bills with you. <laughs> sole parent is it's, it's me by myself. Right. And so as a sole parent, <clears throat> I really felt that having my kids closer to family would, would benefit us. So mm -hmm. I, I continually looked for opportunities in South Carolina. And um, the data breach at Department of Revenue in 2012, Barry, provided me that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I, was, uh, I had left state government, um, had working for a private uh, boutique security firm out of Montgomery, Alabama. I applied for a job at the Department of Revenue in May of 2012. I interviewed, was offered the job, and accepted it. I was supposed to start July 1st. And uh, around the 1st of June, my job in Florida ended up not going away. I didn't have to try and move kids to a different school zone. And I, I decided that was not the opportunity for me. Uh, I think I dodged a bullet. My first 90 days, July, August, and September, were supposed to be writing security policies. In that 90-day wow. time frame. South Carolina's Department of Revenue suffered the mother of all data breaches, according to the Post and Courier. And I'm pretty sure that the new guy from Florida would have been made the scapegoat. He would have been let go. I'd have moved my family to uh, South Carolina and then been without a job 90 days in. That's right. While having said that, while I had been writing those wonderfully, wonderfully written, working on those wonderfully written policies, Barry, I would have had no access to the server room. I would have had no access to any of the information that ended up being compromised, yet I know that I would have uh, suffered the slings and arrows of, uh, of, of, of uh, scapegoat. And then I saw that the state, Nikki Haley and others, took it seriously. Right. They had the inspector general involved. They got Deloitte involved, and they decided to stand up a state information security office. Now, what I'll share with everybody is everybody thinks – that was the first that they'd ever done. Now, there was a team that was doing that beforehand that didn't have the funding or the authority to get the job done. And so when something bad happened, they came in and they said, oh, we're going to fire all you guys that didn't make this not happen, even though we didn't give you the funding or the authority to make it happen. So it's very unfortunate for them. I've seen that happen, Barry, in state government, mm -hmm. where somebody's got to be made the scapegoat. Uh, I've actually seen uh, CISO contracts now that uh, provide payouts. But if, you, if we're going to fire you for being the scapegoat, we're going to pay you uh, a fee 
for your um, for your leaving and not saying to everyone that we fired you for being a scapegoat. Right. So I, I share that with you because the boutique company I worked with, I said, hey, we need to put our contract in for South Carolina. We put our contract in. We didn't win. Deloitte won. Uh, I kept watching. And then I saw the Deloitte report that said they should hire CISOs and they should pay them a lot of money. And I said, I would like to be a deputy CISO and I would like to get paid lots of money. I reached out to Mike Russo and he said, convenient, I'm talking with Marcos, who is the CISO up there. I said, well, put in a good word for me. You put in a good word for me, Barry. I networked and um, interviewed with Marcos. He was looking for somebody that had previous enterprise state government security experience and i could come in and provide him that came in took over um all of the law enforcement and revenue agencies as a deputy CISO. Mm -hmm. did that for two years before going to uh university of south carolina to manage a cybersecurity grant and then last two pieces of the career journey and we can pivot back to wherever you'd like um great opportunity to work for south carolina's medicaid agency managing a $5.2 million budget as their chief information security officer. And again, you know, Barry, sometimes it's, I'll call it the out of the blue. Um, in 2002, after I wrote the strategic plan, they said, or in 2001, they said, hey, we need a security manager and you're it. I'm working at a contract for South Carolina's Department of Health and Human Services. CIO says, can I see you in my office? And I walk in and he says, uh, I need a CISO and you just walked into my office. Um, based upon your background and how you carry yourself, I think you'd do a good job for me. So again, it, it, it was kind of out of the blue. I was working a contractor. Now I've got a position as a CISO, managing a team of 15 or 20, $5 million budget, um, doing great things for the most disadvantaged population in the state of South Carolina. Absolutely. And uh, since that time, Barry, last year and a half, uh, joined the private sector. Uh, very interesting where your budget comes from revenue, not from taxpayers. And um, a very interesting world. I'll, I'll turn it back to you. I think a couple of themes come out for me, Tom, in particularly you talking about your career steps and the milestones. Uh, one theme is that you seem to be very, from an early age, mission-oriented and others-oriented. What I hear is a lot of service, taking care of the population, helping here, helping there, where I can. Would you agree with that? Barry, I am a service-oriented individual. And uh, if you were to, uh, I, I don't know how to not volunteer, um, <laughs> which is to my detriment. Uh, if you go look at uh, whether the resume or a LinkedIn page, you will see a slew of volunteer opportunities, whether it's uh, InfraGuard or ISACA. I uh, got an opportunity to, uh, to be a board chair for a virtual public charter school here in South Carolina, which, um, again, Barry, that volunteer experience taught me about how nasty and ugly the politics of South Carolina education is. I'm sure. Um, it. Uh, I learned some lessons there. I, I've got missing, missing body pieces and uh, time in my life I will never get back. But it provided me a great insight into that arena. Mm -hmm. And so as a chief information security officer in, in my current position, I haven't gotten here um, via a technical route. 
Right. I, I've gotten here through a, a different route, but a lot of it has been, like you said, finding opportunities to volunteer and provide service. Because when you do, you just meet 10 more people, you just meet 20 more people. And, and one of the things that, that we say in the emergency management profession is, I don't want to be shaking your hand and introducing myself in the time of emergency. Right. We've got to meet each other beforehand. We've got to establish trust. We've got to understand that we've got each other's back. So when we're in a crisis and we're in an emergency, I know I can trust you you know you can trust me. The other theme that uh, comes out to me, which we've already talked about, is your ability to communicate with people in an emergency. Communication is critical. In security, which people get, is frankly, in my opinion, a very emotionally driven, people see it very emotionally driven. I don't want to breach. I don't want to be in the front page of the newspaper. I don't want my personal or organization data hacked, whatever the case might be. And so I think uh, knowing you for some time as I have, I think that your communication abilities um, have helped you go through the places that you've gone and achieve the things that you've achieved. But it's also probably made you much different than the other candidates for these positions. Would you say that's probably true? I would say that's very true. As a, as a matter of fact, Barry, the, the reason that I was hired into my current position Mm-hmm is that the company was looking for somebody that could talk the talk. And, and I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. I am sitting at the table with the C-level professionals. I am having conversations with other Fortune 100 companies that we're partnering with. And I'm providing them with a level of customer assurance and partner assurance because of how I carry myself, mm -hmm. how I speak with confidence, right? how I, I know what I'm talking about. But even more than that, Barry, part of what I think my, my charm is, if you will, is there is a level of truthfulness and, and honesty and genuineness in my approach and my delivery and how I talk to people mm -hmm. that they truly get. And they see it. And you, you mentioned it earlier. And, and so um, I, I call it a, a personableness. And again, it's a lot of it is just a matter of figuring out what do we have in common. Right. And, and I'll, I'll go back uh, to Downton Abbey and uh, the, the matriarch. And, and I love her. Um, she, she looked at somebody once and she was asking for a favor. And he, he said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And she said, have we nothing in common? And, and I, I thought about that, Barry, and, and I thought it was a great line. It was a, you know what? C can we not find a, a meeting place? Can we not find some common ground where we both agree that while, yes, your principles are going to hold you here and my principles and my desires are going to hold you here, mm -hmm. but I still think there's an opportunity for a meeting ground there in between. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of Downton Abbey and that Maggie Smith character, the grandmother, is by far my favorite character of that whole um, that that whole 
group. Um, and she has the best lines, I think, too. So um, she has the best lines. I completely does. agree. Yeah. The other, th- the the third thing I would add to the the two things I already said was uh, communication and mission oriented was is you have a great ability to build relationships with people and security folks in particular are not seen in the manner that they they are good at building relationships. They're the no person, the we can't do that. Here's why we, you know, we can't open up the, the gates to the castle kind of thing. And the ability to build relationships, I think, is a, probably a great advantage to you in your career thus far. So, so Barry, um, I'm going to pivot if I don't come back to relationships. Yeah. Um, Dan Lorman, former uh, Chief Information Security Officer for the state of Michigan and a, uh, a thought leader in the security space, he tells a story about when they came to him in, I'm going to say, in 1995 and said, Dan, we need to put in wireless. And, and Dan was like, wireless? And Barry, if you remember the days when people were like, what? You're going to be sending my data across the the open airline. Someone can, and, and he says, no, we can't do that. And I think he was working for Terry Takai at the time. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, Dan, then, then you can't be the CISO. And, and, and they had a, a understanding or the come to Jesus epiphany. And it wasn't a, it wasn't contentious. It was a, Dan, I need somebody who can find a way to say yes. Mm-hmm. Now, you can say there are ways to say yes and do it securely. So don't come to me with your first answer being no. Have it be your first answer being yes. So, Barry, again, um, in, in my current role in the private sector, one of the partners said, we need somebody that can sit at the table with us. Mm-hmm. That's why they hired me. When I'm having conversations, and, and I can, I'm fortunate, I can tech with the talkies and I can talk with the techies. Now I'm not going to get very deep into JavaScript and there's a whole lot about active directory and domains and networking that I hire smarter people than me, Barry, to manage that. Mm -hmm. But I have a a basic enough understanding that I'm seen as an ally in both camps. Mm. And, and at one point I had, I've had to, to fight with my own internal teams. And I said, guess what? If the security prevents the business from getting done, we don't need the security team. Guys, don't put us out of a job. And I said, we have to be the solutioners. Yeah. Because, uh, Barry, another little uh, uh, pithy statement, privacy determines what should be protected. Security determines how it should be protected. And IT executes on that vision. Mm. But it's the how that's put to the security team for them to be articulate and creative and solution. You know what needs to be done. Just make sure it's done in a secure enough fashion that we can reduce the risk to an acceptable level. Yeah. That's awesome. Let me uh, let me pivot. Um, I want I want to give you some time to talk about synergy. So uh, you have long history in two separate state, well, multiple states, counting your consulting career of doing state government uh, supportive work, and now you're in the private sector for the last year and a half or so. 
So give the listeners a little bit of understanding about, I mean, I know, but give them some, some insight, some understanding, some context, Tom, into who is Synergy Partners, what attracted you there and what your role is there. Just like I don't know how to volunteer or don't know how to say no on volunteering, uh, I wasn't smart enough, I think, in this case to say no to being chief information security officer for two separate organizations. Mm. So I was hired by an umbrella organization and Synergy Partners is one of those. The other one is ERS. I serve as chief information security officer for both of those, um, which means I have twice the risk in my life. Thank you very much. Um, having said that, um, Synergy Partners is a uh, tax credit organization that um, has been in existence for several years now, um, formerly ADP executives that uh, got together and uh, were able to start a, a tax credit business. So what we do, Barry, is we help organizations uh, be able to stay afloat in times of a crisis, times of disaster through their ability to recover tax funds through tax credits that are being provided by the federal government. Mm -hmm. So we've got a primary line of business, which is off of the workers opportunity tax credit. Um, so if you're a Walmart, you hire a veteran, you get $5,000 off your taxes at the end of the year. Mm. You hire a disabled veteran, you can get $9,000 off of your taxes at the end of the year. Imagine how many veterans that a Walmart hires. Okay, so pretty significant uh, dollars there. So that WOTC is our primary line of business. We also expanded into disaster credits back in 2016 when the hurricanes hit uh, Puerto Rico and the wildfires hit California. Mm -hmm. So if your business has uh, suffered through a uh, hurricane, wildfire, mudslide, uh, earthquake, et cetera, you are potentially eligible for disaster credits and we can help your organization uh, maximize those credits. And then uh, Barry, uh, in uh, 2019, my days are good, 2020, we suffered a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the federal government passed the CARES Act, which allows something called an employee retention credit. Um, and our company has been at the forefront, both on the legislative, uh, the operational, and the audit side, to be able to provide our clients with um, assistance in filing for employee retention credit. So... Watsi disaster employee retention, and uh, we're looking at continuing to expand, uh, looking at some research and development, and green credits. Mm. Um, interesting enough, Barry, I saw an advertisement the other day for an online bank that said every deposit you make, we plant a tree. So I, I have a feeling that uh, we're going to start to see more and more of that green advocacy and that green marketing. Um, so as as we continue with global warming, climate change, and ensuring that uh, we're not completely destroying the planet, the green credits that are um, uh, be will be made available by the federal government will be able to help companies with those as well. Yeah. And then on the, the ERS side, Barry, I, I could have not gone there, but I wanted to share with you, ERS is Employee Reward Solution, great organization. They work with disabled individuals who are currently getting uh, um, social security disability income mm. and they work with those individuals to find employment. Oh, wow. They provide them career coaching. They provide them resume assistance. They provide them job hunting assistance with the ultimate goal 
to help them be self-sustainable so that they can uh, no longer have to rely on the government benefits. So fantastic program, um, really does some good work across the country and uh, known, both companies known as leaders. Um, I will share with you on the, the synergy side, Barry, we've experienced some pretty significant, I think they call it hyper growth. And with hyper growth comes hyper problems and hyper security problems. So um, growth is good, but it, um, it, it, it creates tension mm-hmm. and you've got to make sure that uh, with, with every risk there's reward. And, and in the private sector, what I've learned is it's got to be an appropriate balance of risk versus reward. The, the, the public sector government uh, does not have that same mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Give us uh, some context about how big a company Synergy and ERS combined are and how many employees and how big your team and just give us some context around that picture, Tom. So um, the two combined companies uh, uh, maintain uh, their offices in a campus in downtown Florence, right across from uh, Victor's and Hotel Florence. And, and Barry, those offices are part of a downtown revitalization that has been 10 years in the making um, that includes some pretty significant investments downtown, including by these two companies, Synergy and ERS. Approximately 500 individuals employed, probably 350 or so in the greater Florence area. Barry providing high paying jobs, data analysis jobs, tax credit manager jobs. And the the Synergy side, again, we've seen some 10x kind of growth. Uh, We've had uh, uh, tension in terms of uh, hiring quality people. Not Mm -hmm. that we can't find them, but um, we had uh, 89% employee growth from one year to the next. Wow. That's that's almost doubling. And so your IT staff has got to take care of twice as many people some of them on site, some of them remote. Your security team now has twice as many people to make sure are not going to be handing away the keys of the kingdom that you now have to make sure get training and phishing or anti-phishing education. And so um, that kind of growth is pretty interesting. Um, Barry, both uh, companies uh, operate in the cloud. So we're, uh, we're moving forward in terms of uh, what the infrastructure will be. And uh, it's kind of funny. We've got uh, we've got IT staff, got, uh, IT guys there, Barry, that are giddy. They're excited about the fact that we've moved to the cloud because of all of the opportunities and additional functionality that's there. You know, one guy told the CEO, he said, "Sir, you have positioned us for the next ten to fifteen years." And and the CEO, he goes, "You know what?" None of my IT managers have bothered to share that with me. <laughs> Again, very interesting. And, and yet, we knew that. We sure. knew it inherently that by moving to the cloud, you are going to be positioning yourself for the next 10 to 15 years. None of us thought deeply enough to tell the CEO that. The junior IT programmer, he saw it and saw it as the value that the CEO would truly appreciate. You've had a lot of experiences from being a military brat, moving all over the place, PR degree, starting that, getting into security, being the communicator, um, and and now you're here. The the CISO for a 
wildly growing and highly regarded uh, national company. Um, you know, Synergy is, is a big deal. So I think our listeners would be interested in what are your areas of focus going forward and, and what do you see happening uh, from your perch where you are today? For, for good, bad, or ugly, we don't fall underneath a compliance regime. So I don't have to be HIPAA compliant. I don't have to be Sarbanes-Oxley compliant. Um, we've chosen our own. Mm -hmm. We chose NIST 853 moderate, which was a good, solid uh, framework. Sure. We chased uh, being compliant with that. And with any framework, where, you know, as soon as you're 100% compliant, the next day somebody makes a change and you're no longer 100% compliant. So it, it, it's, it's a continuous uh, chase. Um, so we also recently passed our SOC 2 audit. I was very proud of that. The SOC 2 audit from the year before had several material findings. I came in and I'll do the pat on the back and I put some processes in place that ensured that those particular findings would not be repeated. Um, and I was lucky enough that nothing else that I wasn't looking at, Barry, ended up being uh, an, an audit finding. But in all honesty, I put some things in place to ensure that we were going to be in compliance mm -hmm. with our own framework because we're the ones that are holding ourselves accountable. It's nobody else from an oversight perspective that's holding us accountable. Sure. That would be one thing. Secondarily, as we move to the cloud and we continue to expand in the cloud, the number one cloud vulnerability issue is related to configuration. Right. So I'm working with my team. I'm going to make sure everyone's got a solid understanding and uh, uh, education base about the, uh, the threats and the vulnerabilities of working in the cloud. Mm -hmm. I just this morning was re going reviewing a training to determine whether it's one I'm going to make other people suffer through. And it was pretty good, so I think I am going to make them suffer through it. Um, but equally, Barry, I tend to not push something out to somebody if I'm not willing to do it myself. Mm. So I sat through the training. I said, this is pretty good. I learned some stuff. There are other people that don't know as much as I do in this area. I'm going to make them go it. And then I'd say a third area, email. Okay. Mary, every one of us has an email address. Yep. An email address is a touch on the internet, and the internet's a tool. It can be used for good things or bad things, just like a hammer. Take a hammer and whack you upside the head, or I can do good things with it and put nails in the wall. Right. But, but the bad guys know we all have email addresses. So they know if I'm going to get into your company, probably not getting through the firewall, I'm going to go through the people. Mm -hmm. So I think equally that's another feather if you want to call it in the success story of tom scott if there is one and that is cybersecurity is as much about people as it is technology absolutely so if you can communicate if you can understand people if you know how to train people and you can go in and say hey guess what there's a whole bunch of risk here how much do you really want if you can tell stories storytelling is incredibly powerful Absolutely. And so those abilities, growing up reading, Barry, I read everything. I read comic books. I read uh, Reader's Digest Condensed. I, I was waiting at the mailbox for it to come in because I wanted to read the drama in real life. I wanted to read the jokes. I wanted to read. And by doing all of that reading as a youngster, 
I learned lots of words. I learned lots about the world around me and um, gave me opportunities to, to understand that uh, as much as I'm different from everybody else, I'm the same as everybody else as much as I'm different than they are. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good word. That's a good word right there. Um, let me ask you lastly, I know that you're, you've mentioned you're a soccer referee. I know you're a big family guy. Obviously you've talked about that. Um, but I also know that you do volunteer for a lot of things and you're involved in helping people in lots of ways. So, you, um, can you touch on just a couple of things as to your philosophy and practice of giving back? I can. And, and, uh, I, I like the way that, uh, you, you, you led me into that, sir. What you've really done is given me a chance to share with you. Um, certain individuals, whether it's uh, Bruce Mitchell or Mike Russo, and uh, the other individual was my public relations teacher, freshman year, University of Georgia. And the one thing he said is, you've got to find ways to give back. And, and it, it, it's back to the fishes and loaves story that if you keep reaching into the basket and taking out without putting something in, eventually you end up with nothing. Mm. And, and so that stuck with me. You've got to find ways to give back. And so, um, Barry, the ways that I give back are uh, through um, one of the ways is uh, through Cyber SC, mm -hmm. a, a nonprofit that we've started up here in terms of uh, driving cyber education and cyber workforce opportunities across the Palmetto State. Um, as I mentioned earlier, got a chance to be a part of Odyssey Online, which was a public virtual charter school. A great opportunity, again, to help teachers and students um, in Fregard. Uh, another group uh, that uh, works with the FBI, uh, sharing uh, information intelligence. Uh, whether you know this or not, the, um, the shooter in the Mother Emanuel Church was uh, reported to the FBI from an InfraGuard member oh. uh, who happened to call and say, hey, I'm in the Charlotte area, and uh, are you looking for this guy? And his name had not been published at that point, Barry. And they said, why, yes, we are looking for that guy. And they said, he just got money out of an ATM 20 minutes ago. Wow. And so at that point, they still had their investigation focused on Charleston. They immediately pivoted, went to Charlotte, and within hours had captured him. Mm. So again, the chance to be a part of that, whether it's volunteering to get food, water, and ice out to impacted individuals, uh, being a part uh, partner with uh, FBI and law enforcement to protect our critical infrastructure, I, I'm I'm happy to give because I know that uh, what I get back in return is tenfold. All right, we're going to wrap up with our um, six pack of questions. So I'm going to sling these at you, and we're just going to do rapid fire. When you are a young career professional, uh, what is it that you thought about a lot that you overvalued that looking at it now was is less important i would have to say it was the um the so the, the personal social life and and what i mean by that is it took me a long time as a young professional to mature to the point where getting up in the morning was not going to a job it was going to a career mm. and um, for, for, I don't know, most of my twenties, it was a job. 
Sure. And, and it wasn't to a certain point, and I don't know when that happened, where I realized, you know, no, this, it, this is my career. This helps define me. This helps define who I am and how people see me. And, and as a result, I want to be the best professional and a a the best and have a good career and one that's successful not just show up every day and do the work so yeah um, took me a little bit of time in my 20s to get through the college attitude but it came eventually what did you undervalue when you were a young person that is highly valuable to you now probably networking Mm. and uh really that's surprising uh, again I, I was I was introverted, and and the the extroversion has only come over time, um, and so for me, again, remember it's a it, it's a job, it's not a career. So if it's a job, at the end of the event at three o'clock, you know what? I don't have to go back to work. I'm out of here. Right. I'd start my my end of the day early. Mm-hmm. Instead now. I stick around till 3.30 or I stick around till 4 o'clock and I go and I grab that person that had something interesting to say and I follow up with a conversation. Mm. I don't just ditch out as quickly as I can because whew, this is so much better a six-hour day than an eight-hour day. Right. Um, so I'd say it's the networking. It's the building of those relationships that, as I said, I learned over time. You can't build those relationships in time of crisis. They've got to be built in times of peace. So that when you're un, under fire, you, you've, you've got the confidence and comfort of knowing who you're working with. What is your favorite word? Um, I have a couple of them, but um, I would say one of my favorite words is gravitas. What is your least favorite word? Um, bandwidth, because people use it unnecessarily and, and, and I use it for that same reason. What profession other than your own, Tom, would you like to try or attempt? So, Barry, I've always um, felt like I was a teacher at heart, just not willing to take teacher pay. <laughs> and so uh, I got an opportunity a couple of years ago um, in a part-time adjunct basis to uh, teach at the college at University of South Carolina here in Columbia. And so... Uh, I think I would enjoy continuing to work with uh, students and young people. It, it keeps me young. And uh, some of it's like, that I like talking or that I like telling stories. And those provide me opportunities as an instructor to go and tell the stories and to share the experiences that I've gone through so that hopefully someone else can benefit from them. What profession other than yours would you never like to try or attempt? Earlier, I said I, I got a, I avoided advertising in, in the, the journalism world. Um, I think that in with the skill set that I have now versus what I had coming out of college, I think I could potentially do sales, Barry. Um, just it's an area I've never worked in. Um, but uh, I'd say probably still the advertising. Um, anything that's... I like working together. Yes. So if you're going to give me a job where I have to fight against somebody to get my job done, I'd rather not do it. Tom, thank you so much for your insight and your passion and your um, transparency in talking with us. And um, you dropped a lot of serious nuggets for our listeners today. And 
uh, I know that they'll be better off for it. So I just want to say uh, from all of us here, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for joining us today on the Tech Leaders Talk podcast. Learn more about our show at techleaderstalkpodcast.com and follow us on social media. We are Tech Leaders Talk podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we're on Twitter at Tech Leaders Pod. Subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. And please share this episode with at least one person in your life who would benefit. Until next time, tech leaders, keep talking. And I will tell you that uh, the uh, the myths about women not farting are completely <laughs> that complete myth. They they actually the girls on the team, Barry, they would fight to not have to ride in the van with this one girl. <laughs> That's a bad aside, but anyway, um, 